All right, everyone. Welcome back to another great episode here of Crypto 101. Today, we have a very good friend of ours, Alex Saunders from Nuggets News, our friend down under, keeping uh, keeping the other side of the world in check. Alex, welcome back. Good to have you on again. Yeah, thanks so much for catching up. A lot's happened since we last spoke. Yeah, you're telling me. I mean, we last spoke towards the end of 2019. Life was good. We were just peeking over the horizon of the end of the bear market, thinking it's sunny skies ahead. And then 2020 came along and just punched us right in the cock as hard as it could. Um, but fortunately, that seems to have coughed out a lot more money on the market, but just as much chaos. What's going on over in your neck of the woods? Give us a State of the Union address for you're over in Tasmania, right? Yeah, I'm down in Tasmania. So that's the little island state down the bottom of Australia, for those that don't know. At the moment, we're fairly lucky. We're basically not in any form of lockdown. Um, Victoria, which is the second sort of most populous state in Australia, is in a hard lockdown. New South Wales, which is sort of where the Sydney is, uh, and that's the most populous state, they're starting to get a rise in cases again. So, yeah, the Australian economy was always going to get affected from, I guess, day one when we saw COVID coming out of China. We were really worried because Australia is like so dependent on China for everything from resources to all the students and education uh, to all the minerals and all the, the mining that they take from us. So, yeah, we were always going to get hit hard, but I think it's pretty clear now that we've been hit really hard from it. Now, I recall reading something in the American news, so take that with a grain of salt. I want to confirm this if this is true or not. Australia said China's to blame for COVID-19, and they wanted to do an investigation, and China got so butthurt, they started uh, taxing exports and all kinds of financial sanctions, if you will, for Australia saying that. Is that true or false? Uh, mostly true. Uh, I wouldn't call them sanctions per se, but Australia has always been in this real delicate position where we kind of bend the knee to whatever the US wants in a lot of ways, a lot of military ways. Like a few years ago, we sent a couple of jets over to Iraq and it's like, what the hell is Australia going to make a difference with two planes? But for some reason, they like to sort of see if they're still got control of us, I guess, with that friendship. But at the same time, we've got this tight relationship with China where they're our biggest trade partner. And we're right in the middle of this rock and a hard place with the trade wars and all the tensions there between the sort of superpowers. And it was always going to, I guess, come a day when we have to decide what's going on. But Australia was the one that sort of said, well, we, we want an investigation into everything that happened. So it wasn't really too bad of a request. But I think China really took offense to that, almost like we don't believe you. Um, so they said, well, if you don't believe us and you, you're demanding this, that and the other, then you know, we're going to put a few extra taxes on this. We're not going to recommend our students go there. We don't think Australia is safe anymore. They're being racist. And it's really caused a lot of tension. It's absolutely terrifying that such consequences can be had for completely independent parts of the world that just don't simply participate in revisionist history. What the yeah. fuck? Mm, I mean, oh, I mean, this Australia, is a problem that blockchain can solve, thankfully, if we can start putting news on blockchain where they just can't deny these things are happening anymore. Absolutely. And I think even some of the Chinese scientists have been putting certain documents on, you know, Ethereum and that. So it is somewhere that is tamper proof. But uh, Australia's economy is something we've covered a lot on our channel because it's actually like 93rd in what we call economic complexity in, in between like African nations you would have never heard of. And what that means is Australia's not very good at much. All we do is dig rocks out of the ground. Um, we've got a lot of houses in a housing bubble. 
and the banks fund all that. And if you take that away, we are really not very good at innovating, creating businesses, you know, science, technology, all these other industries that are sort of booming in, in leading countries. So that's a bit of a worry. Yeah, I would assume so. Moving on from that for just a moment, we just recently had Bitcoin cross $12,000. It ran up, you know, two, two, two grand over the course of a weekend, pretty much, while big money was asleep and, you know, out on their yachts. And then it came crashing back $1,400 in five minutes. Who's responsible for these kinds of moves behind the scenes? You've been around forever. Can you give us any kind of insight into why Bitcoin can be, you know, more exciting than ever? PayPal's on board. U.S. banks have been cleared to get on board. Why would there be a $1,400 price crash in five minutes? So as you say, I've been watching the charts like daily since 2012 and Bitcoin's always been volatile because it, it's hard to like get a specific value and it's always just based on sentiment and narratives. But now we've got this 100x leverage which dominates trading and markets and volume and a lot of other things are getting their price feeds even from, from BitMEX and the like. So I really tell traders, particularly beginners, to not even look at that price. And I know a lot of people always say that and not to worry about it, but honestly, that number on the screen now that we're getting from these 100x exchanges is just not relative. So if you or I were negotiating a big OTC deal, as you say, we'd probably be negotiating around $11,000 somewhere in the middle, but we're not worried about the day-to-day price. If I'm going to buy a million dollars over off Bitcoin off you on the weekend and it falls 20%, we're not rocking up Monday and I'm paying you 20% less. We're sort of negotiating on a seven-day average price or something like that. And that's where people really need to think about it because these big whales and traders, they know the key levels that everyone is watching. They know where everyone's stops are, even some of the exchanges that are trading against their own customers or whatever. So they know that they can push the price to this level. Uh, volume and, and liquidity is a lot thinner on weekends where we've seen a lot of this stuff happen. Uh, you know, A lot of the time it gets pushed up on the weekend and then it gets sort of smashed back down by Monday morning. And it's just these guys that can push markets around. So I tell people, really, don't worry about it too much. Yeah, that's good advice. And I think that these derivatives exchanges is probably the biggest difference between this bull run and the last one. In fact, the very end of the 2017 bull run is when Bitcoin was launched on CME Futures and BitMEX came to life. Like the literally the day of, that was the top of the market. So with these, with the with huge money being able to make profit in both directions and manipulate things almost in 3D as opposed to 2D now, is holding dead or is that still going to be a profitable strategy for people that are just trying to get into crypto? Oh, absolutely. Holding is still the most profitable strategy. And I tell all beginners, I really think you should just be dollar cost averaging into to Bitcoin. Uh, for me, I'm a huge believer in Ethereum as well, but I guess that's up to you, whatever you like. But over time, these markets are growing to an enormous market cap. And when you zoom out, it's almost like this it's a very clear cycle, isn't it, on those log charts that we look at because of the exponential growth. And people just get so tied down in the day-to-day, oh, I should have bought here or I could have bought here. You know, you're never going to pick the bottom. You're never going to pick the top. And you're going to get shaken out if you try to trade against these big whales. So, you know, enjoy the ride. Use it to your advantage. You know, set some low bids on an exchange. Or if you're at the computer when we have this $1,000 crash, you know, just buy a little bit extra from your dollar cost averaging stack because over time, the whales cannot manipulate the price. It's it's going up and to the right as long as we continue to grow, which I think we're going to grow into the trillions of dollars 
uh, market cap for Bitcoin and for these other leading protocols. So yeah, use that uh, you know, to your advantage. Don't don't be, I guess, put off by it, even though I know it is frustrating. And I, I, at one stage, I kind of thought that we've got all this leverage on Bitcoin. People aren't going to speculate in alts like they did in 2017. That's something that I was kind of thinking, is that going to play out? But then we saw exchanges like FTX and Binance add high leverage on all these alts. So it was like, okay, well, are people going to trade alts on 100 times leverage? Well, I guess, of course, they are. They're greedy and you can make a fortune in an hour and that sort of all changed. And now it's like 2017 on steroids, I think, is where we're going. I honestly think that we're about to see all the Robin Hood traders, the Davy Day traders, more speculators, more countries than ever. We saw the NASDAQ-listed company, MicroStrategy, put money into Bitcoin. No one wants to be first then no one wants to be last. We've seen that now with legendary investors like Paul Tudor Jones. I think we're going to see it with state actors like governments or central banks. Someone is going to be first and then that is going to start the biggest bull run of our lives. Yeah, I agree quite a bit. And going on behind the scenes to us who have been in the space and you know are looking for the next big thing, there's, there's little micro trends participating within that overall giant narrative. In 2017, it was the ICOs that were coming out on Ethereum. People realized, oh, I can spin up my own coin in seconds instead of years now. And they did. And now we're in this uh, phase of DeFi. And there's a handful of DeFi projects that are really good, really changing things. And then everyone realized, hey, this is also a really cool way to make money. And hundreds of other things are coming out now. Uh, I just bought memefinance.com as a domain the other day because I feel like all these new coins and new projects for yield farming and things like that are really just built on the back of 4chan memes. And that's literally how they're raising their pre-sales and private rounds is by creating memes on 4chan. I call it crypto backed by fine art, quote unquote. (laughs) And it's, it's quite hilarious, but it's caused Ethereum gas fees to go skyrocketing to the price that's even more expensive than doing a wire transfer at a bank in some mm-hmm. cases. You're going to have a conversation right after this with Vitalik. As soon as we're done here, you get to interview him for your podcast. I'd love to get your thoughts on what can be done about this. And is you know DeFi really here to stay or is it just a temporary fad? Mm, okay. So one thing I would say is rewinding even further. I mean, I fell victim to this FOMO and it's not something that's new. And a lot of people still think, oh, 2017, will it happen again? There's been several of these cycles. And I tell people this story where I FOMO'd into Aurora coin in 2014 and it was going to be the official coin of Iceland and had all this marketing and stuff. And I FOMO'd in and it went, uh, you know, pump and dump style back right back down. So when people were saying, oh, is 2017 going to happen again? My message was always, as long as we have, I guess, human beings and exchanges and money, it's always going to happen. And sure enough, it took that weeding out and that flush out, that bear market, and then people start to get excited about certain narratives again. So we had sort of like a mini alt season in terms of IEOs when those exchanges and Binance tried to pump things. That's starting to heat up again. But yeah, really DeFi is that that narrative. And like a lot of things back in the ICO stage, there were really good projects that were early that were doing really critical things. But then everyone tries to jump on and copycat because they see this success. And like we saw, you know, 
Neo is the Chinese Ethereum, and this is the Korean Ethereum, or this is a thousand transactions per second. Well, my chain's a million transactions per second. People always love to jump on these narratives and I'm better or me too sort of coins. And that's what's now happening in the DeFi space. I definitely think it's got bubbly. And look, we've been early investors in these things since 2017 or 18. And a lot of people are now saying DeFi is the next big thing. Well, that was two years ago when you should have been saying that. And now things have gone up 100x or more. And I really worry that the retail investors are sort of piling in and thinking that this is the next big thing when it's already gone up a hundredfold. If you're taking a long-term time horizon, I still think the best projects like Synthetics and Aave are going to continue to grow because they're leaders in this space. But the message I want to get across to people is that there's not always the next big thing. And it worries me at the moment that projects like Bands or is there this one called like DOS Network that everyone's jumping on? It's like, oh, Link is this valuation and Link's done 100x. So what's another Oracle on another chain? That means that's going to do oh at least 10x because it's similar. And those things can, I've said to my sort of followers that this is a great opportunity for the traders and the flippers because it is going to pump on all these narratives. But the underlying fundamentals, a lot of the time, Look what happened to NEO or uh, ICON, you know, the Chinese Ethereum, the Korean Ethereum. They were the ones that fell 99% because when you fall back on nothing but narrative, you know, gravity takes hold. Yeah. And to further that point, Eternity is something that's one of the most robust ecosystems tech-wise. They are also an oracle. They fell out of the top 100 this year. ICON's got a tremendous ecosystem behind it. But it just doesn't have the gas to continue to pump. From $12, it's under $0.50 cents right now. Someone will pay attention to it again. But as you were saying, like things that people are expecting to be the next chain link, well, there's a project that just came out called Yam. And it, it debuted on the market at like 60 bucks. It's got a fully diluted valuation of like $260 million. The founders themselves said, we built this thing from start to finish in 10 days by cutting and pasting code from other projects. There's been zero formal audit. We have no guarantees of security whatsoever, though we did the best we could in 10 days. That's well, ridiculous. I mean, last, last night, um, FTX, so to be just to be honest and open with everyone, like I love FTX. That's where I do all my trading now. They are leaders, but they launched Serum, which is their sort of, uh, I guess, for, foray into DeFi and DEXs and, and that sort of thing. Someone paid $5 on Binance and that gives it a fully diluted market cap of $50 billion more than Ethereum. So look, these things are going to pump when there's hyper narrative, but you just have to be so cautious about these valuations as tokens come into supply. And you know, when the hype dies down, people are going to move on to the next thing that's exciting. And that's when we find out what something is, is really worth. Over the long haul, I do hope that projects like Icon and neo pick back up if their fundamentals catch up with it but at the moment you just got to realize that we're in these speculative narrative driven markets in terms of what you asked about gas prices so over the past 12 months a lot of the scaling solutions have really come from nowhere for those people that i guess weren't aware of what was happening in the ecosystem but we've now got things like loopring that have got instant free transactions uh, using ZK technology, so that privacy technology that also scales really well. You got a Mesa Go. Everyone thought that project was dead, and they came out and launched Plasma. And Bitfinex said, "Hey, we're going to put all our tether onto a Mesa Go onto the Plasma chain because it's so much cheaper and better." 
Uh, Raiden is the Ethereum's Lightning Network, so they've just launched their mainnet. Um, they're one of the many teams that have entered this uh, Reddit scaling bake-off. So Reddit said to the, all these teams, hey, guys, you show us which one of you is best. And we've got dozens of these Ethereum teams that are all trying to show Reddit how their technology can scale. So it's already there. All, the technology is already there to scale Ethereum. It is now just a matter of all the dApps to integrate this. And the best projects like Synthetics, they've integrated optimistic rollups and, and soon they'll move all their technology and contracts over to this other platform and you'll pay one cent instead of $20 in gas fees. That's amazing. I paid $32 for a transaction on Uniswap a couple of days ago. Yeah. I was livid. Yeah. And I think it's just the abuse of the network. Like we know that a lot of scams and Ponzi's are abusing the network. Like they, they write terrible contracts that use so much gas, but they, they don't care if someone pays 30 bucks to send them a hundred dollars of ETH. It's just all scare money for them. So if we can weed out that sort of stuff, get these scaling solutions, then we've got Ethereum 2.0, you know, months or, or years until that's probably fully in, implemented. But yeah, it's not like this is an unsolved mystery where everyone else is going to come along and beat Ethereum. Other chains are still facing the same problems and they don't have the network effects. Makes sense. So from my vantage point, I'm finally convinced that we're in a bull market for Bitcoin, that the bear market's over, accumulation phase is over. It's not quite clear skies from here, but pretty damn close. A, would you agree with that narrative? And B, if so, what convinced you that we're finally ready to break out of this huge descending wedge we've been stuck in since the last bull run? Uh, yes, I, d I definitely think we're we're in a bull market. I, I honestly think if we rewind a little bit in uh, 2019, when we had that incredible run from the 3,000 bottom up to 14,000, that was too far too fast and that was a real short squeeze where a lot of people thought, oh, it's not going to go through 6K because that was such a strong level and it's not going to go through 10K and we really saw that blow off top, that parabola, shorts getting burned. Whereas if you look at the fractals from the previous markets, that was when we should have still been going sideways in that sort of accumulation bear market. So I think that threw a lot of people off. And then people thought, are we going to run up uh, into the halving? And once again, I sort of thought, well, these things tend to be non-events a lot of the time. And then people get a bit bored after the halving. And once again, I do think it was sort of like the alts and the DeFi and Ethereum that kind of have led this more recent run. Like you need some sort of catalyst and it can be different each time. There's different coins that have taken the lead. But for me, what was the, the clear, clear macro environment that we sort of spoke about at the start of the year was when markets realized that it's not back to normal. And it's, it's really important because th people think that this finance economic stuff's boring. But when you have 14 trillion of negative yielding bonds and, and more banks that are getting fragile and the money printing and all this stuff, all these drivers for gold are real drivers for Bitcoin. And it was just a matter of time for more people to sort of join the dots. And now that Paul Tudor Joneses of the world are joining the dots for people, uh, was it Fidelity the other day that wrote um, Bitcoin, an uh, inspirational store of value? So more and more people are sort of realizing that, oh, Bitcoin wasn't this um, bubble that came and went. Bitcoin is an asset class that's maturing. It stood the test of time now. You know, it's been the best performing asset in this year in time of uncertainty. So it's just ticking more and more boxes. And every year that it does that, more people become comfortable with it. We've now got hundreds of on-ramps in hundreds of countries, which we didn't have in 2017, particularly the mobile apps. I, I just think that when that tide turns, look at the number of Robinhood traders that are piling into 
you know, bankrupt Hertz or whatever it is because of a narrative. I mean, just I, I'm honestly, I, I'm so I'm sort of worried about how big the bubble is going to get if these Robinhood traders come in and start speculating on, say, DeFi. So I'll just um, I'll just add to that a little bit. So when gold was breaking out, gold's now at new all-time highs. All that stuff for me is just a matter of time until Bitcoin catches up. The only thing that worries me a little bit is that stocks and, and you know gold and that is at an all-time high now, and it's probably due for a bit of a pullback, just some profit taking, if nothing else. And so we sort of saw that just in the last twenty-four hours when things pull back a bit, and then crypto has this nasty pullback. So for me, it's kind of like. How does Bitcoin start to do its own thing a little bit more? It's going to be hard for Bitcoin to have these explosive moves if it's trying to mirror these other asset classes, which are already at uh, all-time highs that aren't going to have explosive moves higher. They're going to grind higher, if anything. Today's show is brought to you by our new sponsor, Cog Network. Cog Network, geared for gain. Cog Network is hedge fund investing evolved. By owning Cog Network tokens, you get exposure to the hedge fund's gains. The hedge fund is comprised of algorithmically traded commodity futures and investment in hard assets related to energy. The first hard asset is partial ownership of a multi-million dollar solar farm that has a crypto mining operation attached. I mean, this is really something that both traditional and crypto investors can come together and participate in. So for traditional investors, they can get exposure to cutting edge blockchain technology in a framework that they're familiar with, a hedge fund, right? And crypto investors can get exposure to an actual security that bears dividends and includes non-crypto assets. So that's super cool. And just for full disclosure, Cog Network is a fully registered and regulated entity qualified by the SEC as a Reg D as well as a Reg S and has a 506C exemption. They've been working with lawmakers since 2017 to get this idea built out in a fully compliant way. Crypt Nation, if you guys are interested in learning more about a tokenized hedge fund, go visit www.cog.network. Makes sense. So we, we've established Bitcoin's got an amazingly healthy ecosystem. Ethereum is, of course, not going anywhere, despite what anyone likes to say. What are some other up-and-coming ecosystems that you see having a lot of potential? I mean, we talked about Neo and Icon before, and they do have some developer adoption. There is stuff going on there, but... You know, their tokens are not really in high demand for speculators, but that doesn't mean that their platforms are worthless. What are some things that maybe are not on everyone's uh, uh, research list that they should be checking out? So, uh, yeah, so for people at home, I have the majority of my portfolio around 70% in Bitcoin and Ethereum because I believe that they are the blue chips in terms of regulations, you know, track record, network effects. But then I still own a little bit of NEO or EOS or these other layer one protocols. So I do think that they're going to have sort of individual um, target audiences and they're now really realizing that interoperability. And, and At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. 
so he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Cardano might be able to help scale Ethereum or port over some projects. So I think there's going to be a lot of that working together, which I love. And it's kind of the opposite. One of the dangers I feel for Ethereum is that the maximalists have become really loud and toxic lately, particularly because Ethereum has been so successful. And I think they see that as a threat as well as all the scaling that's happening. So I think wrapped Bitcoin coming onto Ethereum is a great thing, but I really... I think that some of the toxic maximalist stuff that happens is starting to exclude people from joining the Bitcoin narrative and community, which really upsets me. But um, in terms of individual projects, yeah, so I, I love the DeFi stuff. As I said, we've actually been taking some profits there because I think it's run so hard. I think gaming is the next big hot sector. So Decentraland, uh, Engine, Wax, uh, there's a few little ones, Axie Infinity. Uh, you know, I just love that sector and the idea of the multiverse and buying your items, swapping them. Uh, I think people are going to love that. And Decentraland I interviewed the other day. Um, I'm going to put that one up this week. And they were just talking about how even big businesses like the grayscales of the world are starting to hold their, their next conference or investor calls in Decentraland. So you'll go to these virtual conferences or you might go to a virtual DeFi bank in Decentraland to get a virtual loan through Aave. So I just love where all this stuff is heading. I think it's so exciting. I agree. If you've not been to Decentraland.org yet, definitely do yourself a favor. Check it out. Mana Tokens is our native currency. It's stupid cheap right now, but it's literally a decentralized virtual world that people have built some amazingly cool stuff in, and it's just getting started. Uh, the sky is the limit for the things you can do over there, and there's really no rules. I mean, it's decentralized. You do whatever you want. So, and there's different worlds, so if you don't like the one you're in, you, you go build another one. It's super cool. They had a soccer tournament the other day, like a kind of World Cup of sorts, and the the prize was a gold trophy, and the gold trophy was minted from DigiX gold tokens. So all this stuff, if you can't see that all these Legos are clipping together in the world of DeFi, that is going to be like steroids, clipping together of all these different parts in virtual worlds. That's fascinating. I didn't know anything about that, but it's beautiful to see what all these different puzzle pieces are going to finally build coming together. I was on an investor call last night and I said to the founder, I said, I think what you're building is a valuable Lego piece. I don't know how it fits together with everything else again, but I know that I want it in my bucket. 
And that's exactly how I think about my investing. So as I said, I probably own 30 projects with just, you know, half a percent or 1% I'll put into these projects because if you're getting into them reasonably early, these things do go 10, 20 or 100x and, you know, take some profits along the way. But I think people get really tangled up when they've come into the space and someone says, oh, this is the next big thing and they put 50% of their portfolio in it and then it corrects 90% and they just end up in the worst place where, if you're doing it correctly, you should be sort of spreading these seeds in good early stage projects and just leaving them for a couple of years. Don't even look at the price. I think that's really, really a good attitude and a way to structure your investments very responsibly. Um, but to go back, just rewind a minute to what you were talking about earlier about Bitcoin maximalists and really a maximalist for any cryptocurrency is you want to be an ambassador towards your project that you like, towards crypto itself. And if your ego is what's speaking versus an attitude of compassion, uh, I think you're just going to push a lot more people away. I was saying before we hit record on this call that I'm not sure what scares people away from crypto more, the people who believe in it or the people that are in here scamming. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, every business is a people business. And you want to be involved with people who make you feel good, that are uplifting, that help you. When I got into crypto, I had no help whatsoever, no one to show me the way, no one that I looked up to, no no one that I wanted to watch on YouTube, no offense, but there was just so much out there. I didn't know who to trust, who to believe. All I saw was, you know, there's a few good apples and a bunch of bad ones. And I just said, I'm leaving the whole barrel alone and I'm going to go it alone. Mm. But that shouldn't have to happen this time. There's too many people that want to come into crypto, that crypto was built as an escape hatch to the old system. And the old system is crumbling even worse than when Bitcoin was invented. I mean, it's literally just smoke and mirrors that holds our entire world economy together. The least you can do, if you're an influence out there listening to this, and I know some of you do, just put out a hand and try and be helpful instead of wasting your time on Twitter, uh, putting others down or saying why something isn't as good as something else. If you want to promote what you believe in, great, do it. But I mean, make a positive impact rather than a negative one. This is our last chance. And some of the people that uh, unfortunately have become famous in this world do so by being idiots, jack-offs, and morons because that's what gets them the most clicks and attention. But going forward, like we have to do better. And it starts with ourselves. We can't really hold anyone else responsible. But I used to be the biggest troll in the world. I loved going into the Skycoin telegram and just acting like an idiot. But at one point, I just said, you know what? I can do better. I can do better. I can put a better part of myself forward. And I never looked back from that point. And I'm really, really happy about it. So if if there's other guys out there listening, just give it a try. Uh, Bill Hicks is one of my favorite comedians and really uh, role models, I would say. And he has this amazing bit about looking at the world through the eyes of compassion rather than condemnation. And he says, I don't know if everyone did that, something like, I don't know, a new heaven might dawn. And we're really on the cusp of that. It's a very, very simple thing to look at someone who doesn't know what they're doing or they're holding a bag of Ripple. And instead of telling them they're idiots, feel compassion for them and try and talk to them just about tokenomics, about supply and demand. And eventually they'll see for themselves that there are better things to do and better things to invest in. Yeah, hundred percent. That that was a good rant, and um, I, I think like being in the space for so long and, and talking to a lot of people and seeing a lot of things, 
it's the silent majority that I think sometimes people forget about because they they look at Twitter and there's these loud people. And a lot of these guys have got pretty fake follow accounts in terms of, you know, they used ClickBots back in 2017. Some of these big podcasts and big influencers on Twitter are actually fairly new to the space and they don't really have any idea what they're talking about. And yet they they bash things or they're maximalists and they couldn't tell you how Ethereum or DeFi works, yet they tell you it's it's no good or it's all going to happen on Bitcoin. Like, and, and the silent majority of the people that get upset or leave this space or they've lost a lot of money investing and, and you know, that maybe they're having a really bad week and other people are bashing them, whatever. So I just think sometimes, yeah, you've got to put yourself in other people's shoes, look on the other side of the screen. And, and they're the people that um, I think you want following you in your audience, those type of people. So, yeah, I, I really do. I really do hope we don't go down that path because if Bitcoin gets more toxic, then that all it really has is the community and it's those leaders. I think yesterday Andreas put out a fantastic thread about this whole Ethereum supply debate that, that got blown way out of proportion. Oh, you can't verify the amount of Ethereum. It's Well, you can. You've just got to do this, this and this because it's a complicated system. And Andreas sort of said, you know, this is absolute bullshit. These maximalists don't have any idea what they're talking about. You can use half these arguments against Bitcoin and this is just so childish. And Andreas was basically a maximalist up until a couple of years ago, but he's someone that's really just remained open-minded. And even Satoshi, these libertarian values, libertarians don't force you to use something. That's what bankers do and what governments do. So these maximalists saying that everything else is crap, there's, that, that's discouraging competition, which is so important. We want free open markets. So anyway, I just, um, yeah, it upsets me to see sometimes where things are going, but at the same time, there's still plenty of brilliant people out there. Absolutely. And I'm so grateful for people like yourself and Andreas being the the very loud voices of reasons for the silent majority. And it's great to root for your favorite sports team. But if the only baseball team that exists is the Yankees, you don't have a league and you don't have a game anymore. Exactly. So that's fine. I mean, just remember that Uh, and make it fun. Make it really fun. And one of the things we're doing here in our Crypto Revolution private group is uh, eventually we're going to have like a crypto fantasy draft and we're going to get, you know, dressed up in football jerseys. We're going to have the eye black on and we're going to you know, pick our top 10 and we're going to make a lot of fun out of making a model portfolio and trying to pick stuff from the top hundred or maybe, you know, something from the top 500, pull a dark horse out, you know, who's going to be my Tom Brady pick of my crypto portfolio. And that's okay. It can be fun to debate. It doesn't have to be hostile. And have a meetup into Central Land, maybe. <laughs> but, yes. um I think if you look at the top 10, I mean, look, look at how much the top 10 changed from five years ago. And I'll tell you right now, at the time, people thought, oh, you know, name coin. Everyone's going to be sending coins to their name instead of that address. People had the same narratives where they thought these things were going to be faster and better and private. And I really think that even by the end of the year, we could have some of these big DeFi projects how long can these things have thousands of users and hundreds of millions of dollars locked in it? And, and we have ghost chains like BSV and, and Tron and whatever it is in the top 10 or 20 that have just got no users. The community shrinking. They've got less security. ETC is getting 51% attack. You know, none of this stuff makes sense in terms of the current valuations versus where the real activity is. And, and we could see a very different top 10 within months. I really look forward to that. In fact, I'd like to see some more projects with value like Chainlink actually make it up there. And I don't know, any sense of a valuation model somewhere in the world come to light. That'd be terrific. But, you know, can only ask for so much in 2020. Speaking of this year, of all the craziness we've seen in crypto, out of crypto, around the globe, 
Name three things you think 2020 will be most remembered for 25 years from now. Oh, man. So where do you start? I actually did a thread about this the other day and saying, if you had have told someone at the start of the year that this, this, and this were going to happen, like no one would believe any of the things, let alone 10. So I think people sometimes forget that in Australia, we had those worst ever bushfires. Like at one stage, half our country was freaking covered in smoke. Like it was it was crazy. And that really kicked off a debate. You know, the climate change arguments got people really heated again. And even central banks were starting to talk about how they'd have to save economies from climate change. So they were looking to pin the blame on that before they pin the blame on, on COVID. Then obviously we have a little virus that um, we still, look, so I'm a pharmacist by trade and I left the medical industry because I know how corrupt it is and this, that and the other. But I've got friends and virologists on the front line, so I really try to keep on top of what's happening. And the thing that worries me is that there's still so many unknowns about how it works to develop medication against it or whatever. So that really worries me how quickly that virus took off around the world and how some people still don't take it seriously. There's a lot of people that are dying from this. I mean, who would have thought that this was all possible? Then you've got the things I'm really interested in. I've always been interested in UFOs my whole life. And you've got the the big names coming out or releasing these videos or documents and admitting that this is official. And I think all that stuff's kind of formed by the wayside. Like people don't even care because there's so much else going on. So I think that's really interesting, you know, itself as well. I don't know how there isn't Alien Watch 2020. It's the top story of every single news broadcast around the world. The fact that the Pentagon, the U.S. Navy, the CIA is starting to put this stuff out there to get the narrative going that aliens are coming or are already here and have been here. How is that not the most fascinating thing like in the past 2,000 years since we forgot aliens were already here? It's just completely crazy to me. They've, we've been so anesthetized by crazy stuff this year. It's like, yeah, okay. So I've got an alien as my Uber Eats driver now. I don't care. Humans are so fickle like that. When you say to them, well, everyone thought the earth was flat, you know, however many hundred years ago, and some people still do. But, uh, and then, and then people will go, oh, yeah, of course it wasn't. And, and people are going to do the same, like, oh, oh, aliens, you know, you're crazy. And then when someone says, the government says to them, oh, they're real, they'll go, oh, of course they are. There's heaps of planets. Like, well, of course we weren't alone. But it's just so funny how people just make that transition once they're told what they can and can't believe. It's really strange. You know, once you start seeing, reports of light coming out of black holes all throughout the galaxy. Like how do you have a debate on, you know, what to pay people that are unemployed? Like at that point, I don't know. I mean, for me, I have never been a conspiracy theorist before. I've never been a hoarder or anything like that, but I started stockpiling bullets, food, water, like all that stuff right away. Like just in case, I don't know what's going to happen. But it's really, really hard to focus on your day-to-day when you've got these looming overhead narratives that are so much bigger than literally anything we've ever experienced before. So I went, I've went. i got an interesting journey where I went full circle on this. So initially, I went down that rabbit hole and became a bit of a gold and silver bug after the GFC. And that's how I found Bitcoin on Zero Hedge in 2012. And I was sort of one of those people that thought, oh, you know, the markets are going to crash and gold and silver are going to go to the moon. And then, oh, yeah, Bitcoin's going to go to the moon. But then I sort of found a few other investors and I try to read both sides of the argument and they were just saying that, you know, QE money printing, this is just going to go into stocks and push up asset prices and it's just going to keep going up. I thought, okay, and sure enough, that, that was the right narrative. And I sort of changed my mind that, you know what, these you can't live in fear just buying gold and silver and waiting for the world to crash. Like That's not healthy. But um, 
then I sort of went back a little bit. The pendulum swang back towards the middle a little bit when I thought, look at what happened this year when people were laughing at posts saying, you know, just buy a little bit of extra food. We're not saying that the world's going to end and you have to go and go into your bunker for 10 years, but just buy a little bit of food and make sure you've got, you know, some um, long, long dated food or in America, I know everyone's got their guns. So you probably need some more bullets and protection just in case, but just those little things. And then all of a sudden, look at how quickly it changed and how quickly supermarket shelves can go empty or gold and silver did actually take off. And I sort of thought, you know what, this system is so big and it's just so fragile now and there's so much money out there that when things do change, it only takes that slight pivot for the prices to skyrocket, shelves to be empty, the social unrest to take hold, which is probably the other big the big news item I would say of this year was look at people taking to the streets in the US and, and other countries, yellow vests or whatever it may be. It's been such a crazy year uh, where you know the rules just don't apply anymore. I mean, Trump came out and backed this uh, doctor called Stella Emanuel, who's been quoted in the past of saying some of the most unbelievable things that you would expect a bag lady on the streets of Hollywood to say to you. Um, I'll let you, you know, Google that yourself so I don't have to repeat some of the, the, the gruesome details on air. But if you had showed me this list of her bizarre beliefs in 2019, I would be like, this lady's nuts. This is complete bullshit. But in 2020, I'm looking at half this stuff. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's possible. Yeah, that's actually probably true. Oh, I know that's true. I read something about like that earlier. Our belief systems are absolutely being flipped on their heads. And I think the best thing we can do, both financially, spiritually, uh, and you know, emotionally, is just try and keep an open mind and accept that the world that we once knew is no longer here. But there is a world still here. We just have to relearn how to operate in it uh, hopefully better than we did before because really I thought the previous world sucked. Yeah, and I think that's probably a good segue into tying this all together for people at home. And one of the reasons on Nuggets News we talk about the, the macro side of things so often because it is really melding now with, with the Bitcoin story, the crypto story. E- economists do not know what they're doing. Their models do not work. And I'm not sure if you've listened to some of the interviews we've done with Steve Keen. He's been saying this for 10 years about how the, all the economists and most powerful central bankers in the world, none of them can see the GFC coming. None of them saw this coming. You know, how can that be? If you had a weatherman that said it's going to be sunny every day and every day it was a storm, you know, someone would start to ask questions. But here we are in the, the financial world where they're just they're bullshitting about the unemployment number. You know, they're bullshitting about inflation. Their models are completely broken. They don't understand about how banks' debt and money work and their economists and, and so I think it's almost like they've overcommitted and overpromised and they've fed this life for so long. They can't just turn around. Jay Powell can't come out and say, you know what, we've been completely wrong. You know, everything's stuffed. There's going to be so many bankrupts, bankruptcies. Unemployment's going to be through the roof. You guys aren't going to believe how bad this is going to get. You know, he can't be honest. So all they can do is keep bullshitting and trying to patch these holes whenever there's another leak in the boat. And at the moment, that's, that's a trillion dollars a pop. To do this, just to keep the system from crashing, so that is the that's the road ahead. It either ends in massive inflation or defaults, but both are very very bullish for gold, silver, Bitcoin, crypto. Absolutely, and we've seen this happen since the induction of the Federal Reserve in the early 1900s. That's when the dollar started losing its value at you know a rate of almost 10 percent a decade, losing its purchasing power. 
And yeah, I mean, these economists that you see on the news, they're, they're just salesmen to try and keep you in line so you don't go around shooting your neighbors and hoarding food and raping each other. It's their job to keep social order, not tell you the truth. That's really what the government's role is in society, is to keep us in line so we have a society, for better or for worse. I don't like being lied to, but you know, if you look at you know the Hayek versus Keynes economic argument that's been going on for hundreds of years – well, neither of them are right because there's no honest open market conditions. Everything's controlled up and down. So what yeah. do we really have? And I think the thing that's become so disproportional is the financial world where someone can get a job, go work at a high-rise building in the middle of New York and press some buttons on a keyboard and earn a million dollars a year. We've got these farmers in whether it's Tasmania or in the US, You know, no one wants to be a farmer. They're 60 years old. They're doing back breaking work for 100 hours a week and getting paid a pittance or losing money a lot of the time or going broke. And, and what's more important in the world, you know, food or this guy that's speculating on derivatives that's getting, you know, unbelievably rich and doing no productive role for society. So I think the pendulum is going to have a huge swing and reality check there. And whether it's the pitchforks that cause that or, or regulation of some type, I think we're going to get back into an equilibrium there because there's just too much of an incentive to do nothing and get rich. But at the end of the day, there's not enough resources to go around in that model. And you're already seeing, you know, farms close down, less food and more money can lead to that inflation. That's when you see things like Argentina, Zimbabwe get really nasty and out of control. So I think there's going to be a huge re-evaluation of what's important in life. You're already seeing people wanting to move to the country rather than get that apartment in the city with a good paying job. You know, they want fresh air. They want security and not having 10 neighbors with guns around them when the supermarket shelves are empty. They want their own little hobby farm. So I think people are going to really change what they value. Yeah, I've seen it already in my group of wild friends that used to love going to parties and strange nightclubs. Now they're all talking about how to grow food on their balconies and looking out into the countryside for uh, – yeah. Man, adulting has become very, very different these days. <laughs> All right, Alex, I got one more question for you that I'm going to turn you loose for now. If this was the first podcast someone getting into the space heard, God forbid this was their first one, but just in case it was, what would you want them to know about getting into crypto? Some words of warning, some words of encouragement. So I think everyone should start by buying a little bit of Bitcoin every week and really going down that rabbit hole until you understand what you're doing. And by that, I mean understanding why it's important, how it works, how you can store it yourself and be really secure. I don't want to talk my own book too much, but that's why we've got all the free resources on nuggetsnews.com.au because we want people to do it safely because there's so much crap and scams in the space where you can Google oh, how to make money with Bitcoin and some you know Ponzi scheme is going to pop up. And that's where people like you're talking about before, there's not the one place or the one person to go, which is still really frustrating. And we're launching the Nuggets News app soon as well to hopefully get this content and education in the hands of more people. Once you're comfortable with that, then learn about Ethereum or these other protocols and what they are and how they work. And then if you really want to speculate on some altcoins, don't do that until you know what you are doing and you know where to buy it, you know how to store it securely. I just think people go the complete opposite way where they buy this huge ICO, they got no idea what they're doing or how does, where's my coins? Are they in my MetaMask? Are they in my Maitha wallet? And that's when they get hacked and there's so many things that can go wrong in crypto. And 90% of them are the fault of MetaMask, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Alex, yeah. thank you so much for taking the last 50 minutes with us. I know you've got to go. Um, next time we'll, we'll do a 16-hour episode or something. We could talk forever. 
Really appreciate all your insight and uh, your kind words that uh, and good actions that you're spreading throughout the world. So everyone, go follow him, nuggetsnews.com.au. And Alex, have a great conversation with Vitalik coming up right now. Yeah, thanks, man. I, I, I definitely thought that uh, we're on the same level with all those topics today. So we will have to do a super stream at another time as well. So thanks for having me. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.